What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat. And I'm Posh. And we're hanging out today with Jacqueline Johnson of Creating Cultivate. Jacqueline, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us at your humble abode here, your, <laughs> your offices. Um, yeah, it's such a beautiful space. Thank you. Yeah, we got really lucky. I mean, office space is such a nightmare in it Los is, Angeles. Yeah. Yep. And we were looking. I wanted to be downtown, but not like in the thick of downtown. And yeah. I actually looked at a space two doors down that was way too big for us and was like really overwhelming and nerve wracking as you have to sign like a three to five year lease or whatever. And he was like, well, there's this one space if you want to pop over and check it out. And like, luckily there was still a startup in here and they were moving out and I just like swooped in and got it. Oh, it was already like set up. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's the perfect scenario. We painted and things like that, but like everything else was like just uh, how long have you been in this space? So we've been here, I guess it's like almost going to be a year, like okay, in January. Well. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Obviously did not look like this at the very beginning. It was yeah. like folding tables and all yeah. the nightmares of like putting an office together. But yeah, it's yeah. been exciting. It's our yeah. first space on our own. We've always shared office space nice. before that. Well, before we get into creating Cultivate, you know, what we like to do is we've had about 120 something plus people on the show at this point, And we love to hear about their early days, their story. So why don't you give us a little bit about that before we even delve into what Create and Cultivate is and what you guys have been up to? Yeah. So prior to Create and Cultivate, I actually had a different company. It was called No Subject. Um, I started that when I was 23, so a long t- 10 plus years ago. Mm. Um, and really that was a influencer marketing and events agency. Uh, previous to that, I was working at um, different agencies in New York, in-house at a few different companies. And like Again, long time ago, but this is at the very beginning of social media marketing. And yeah, so, I was about to say ten years ago, like I don't think influencer was a thing. Right? I know it really wasn't. It was like <laughs> yeah. blogger, like Instagram didn't right. exist. Yeah. It was like it was very ahead of the time. Yeah. Um, and basically, I just saw a gap in the market because I had at the time like a well-known blog and basically was focusing on that. And I was like an early influencer, I guess, in mm. that sense. And then brands were starting to figure out, oh, what is you know who are these bloggers? What do they have to say? All that kind of stuff. And And then really what I figured out was brands had no idea how to work with bloggers and bloggers didn't really understand how to work with brands and nor were they getting paid at that time. So I saw that hole in the market. I decided to, I was in LA, which in New York, it was kind of taking off, but in LA was definitely a slower growth. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just saw the white space for it. So I started my own agency. And that, what did you do, Jacqueline? What did you do before that? So, were you are you from LA or are you from New York? No, so I'm from Florida. Okay. Um, and then I went to NYU, and okay. then basically I was a magazine major. I was like going to work in magazines. I interned at Condé Nast. I like did everything to like go down that path, and then basically learned along the way that one, there's no money in that, and I'm living in New York City. Well, I'm glad you figured that out. I'm surprised they had a major for that. Yeah. Well, NYU. I mean, it was it was a magazine production major. And a, and a TV production major, like okay. what was you this could study. Tish? No, this was um, at CAS, which is like the liberal arts Got college. It. But Got then, it. literally, the year after I graduated was the year that they implemented like a digital journalism major. Mm. So, and I think like now all of these are like gone away, which it's is always like the, it's always the year after you graduate after. that they introduce all these cool majors. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I know they're like, oh, yours no, no longer exists, and you're like, yeah. thanks for that like hundred thousand dollar education. <laughs> yeah. um, such a nightmare, but. Um, but it was awesome because like the one thing about NYU that's so great is that my professors like worked at CNN and like, you know, we're adjunct professors. So we got a lot of real time experience and I ended up, um, my first job was at Time Inc. And so I was at Time Inc. Interactive and I was working with them on essentially, it was a super weird, I don't even know how I got this job, but like basically it was like, we need to figure out how we take people 
um, the magazine and translate it to people.com. Like, yeah. and again, this is making me sound like I'm 4,000 years old, but basically they were like, do we just like copy paste the articles? Is it the exact same thing? Is it yeah. different things? Like, and it was just like a bunch of people in the room being like, well, you know, I, you know, at the time I was like 21, I was like, well, I think it should be different things. And like, you yeah. can create different content and like right. really. Cause it's kind of a different audience, right? Yeah. And yeah. at the time it was like, magazines were like, what's the internet? So like they didn't even know how to like approach it or create content or share content. Like it just didn't exist. Um, So I was like early days word of mouth marketing agencies working on Blue Fly and like Mac Cosmetics and like doing different launches. Like I set up Estee Lauder's Facebook page like early, early days when there was no such thing Mm -hmm. as a business page. So I was definitely ahead of like the social media curve and was transferred to Los Angeles um, through my company, IAC. Mm -hmm. um, That owns like Tinder now. Exactly. So I worked at... Uh, Peloton, or not Peloton, sorry, Pronto um, there. And the CEO of Peloton was my boss, um, John Foley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that shut down. And then I went over to City Search, which was based in Los Angeles. And then I was there for a few months and I got laid off. And so that's how I like started my first foray into entrepreneurship. G- growing up, did you always know like this was the kind of, uh, I guess, career you wanted to go down um, being in that space? Or was it something that just kind of you fell into? Something I totally fell into. I think for me, my parents are entrepreneurs. And so I understand and like know what goes into starting your own business. So I think like part of me had that like background where I knew I could do it. I'd seen it before. It was like in my blood. I saw my parents doing it. And then I think for me with like social media and marketing and all these different things, it came naturally to me. So like I kind of have always been a natural marketer. Like I can think really quickly of like how someone who like me, which oftentimes is a very coveted demographic, like a young female, 21 to 35 year old, like what are they buying? I can understand how ads work, how they sell to people, what people look for. So that's always been something that's really natural for me. Um, And I think it served me well early on in my career where I was the demo and the person doing the marketing, which was like an exciting and enticing thing for an advertiser. And then, but so more so like the, for, what about like the journalism side? Like, yeah. like, like how did, how did that, like when, how old were you and like what happened that you decided that that's what you wanted to do and, and you really felt like you could add a lot of value there? Yeah. So I always have been a journaler. Like I've been writing, I've been like part of that, you know, kind of world for a really long time. I think I also like, I mean, this is going to sound very cliche, but like growing up when you watch movies about like women in business, it's like they're always a magazine editor, right? Like it's like every (laughs) single movie. And so like growing up, I was like, that's a job I want. Like that's so cool. It's fashion. It's like all the things I love. And I think like what I didn't realize was that it's all driven by advertising, like which you don't really know unless you're in that industry. And so all the internships I had, I was like, oh, got it. Like the edit team is three people and the sales team is 45 people. Like that's how this... Like, where's all this money coming from? Yes, exactly. And like, you have to post about the advertiser's bag. And it it kind of was like, okay, I get it. And I enjoyed the sales and marketing side of it more, which I didn't really know that much about until I had that internship. So what year was it when you moved out to LA? It was, God, it was like 2010. Yeah, probably. not too long ago. Not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that job that you had here? So I was at City Search and I was a PR manager. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And is you're, you're laughing. I mean, is that something that you didn't want to do? Yeah. Well, it was interesting because basically, so my whole career was social media. It was like, I Got was a it. social media manager, social media, right. etc. And you liked it. And I liked it. I And like, it was, it was like, peak social media timing. And basically what had happened was, and I I write a little bit about this in my book, is my boss at Pronto, who was like, you're going to move out to LA. It's like same job, same thing, like, you know, same salary. But like, and I was like, oh, but like the title's PR manager. Like it's a little different. It's like same thing, like PR, social media, whatever. 
And it like was not the same thing <laughs> at all. It was like, you need to pitch like KTLA. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I have no idea. What are we talking about? Yeah. So it probably wasn't a good fit from the beginning, but um, it was just what, you know, it was like one of those things. But after. Just did it to do it. Just yeah. did it to do it. And like, I, I mean, I love the people I worked with there, but I also, you know, got laid off like two months later because it like wasn't a good fit. But like I had uprooted yeah. my whole life, moved from New York, taken this job. It was like. Nightmare. For those who are listening that maybe don't know what those two jobs entail, like the PR and the social media, like I guess explain like what the clear distinction, at least in your experience, was between the two. Yeah, and I'm sure it's different now, but specifically at the time, like PR was like traditional public relations, meaning like news, media, print outlets getting press for the business, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is like still the still same. The, yeah still the case. And like yeah. I think what the social media position, what I was really doing was strategy for Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, mm-hmm. content creation, influencer outreach, kind of. Of like cultivating that like online entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's two different skill sets right. for sure. And I like tried to figure it out. And it and it's honestly it's of huge value to have both um and be able to have both. I think like now those lines are a little blurred more so, but um especially yeah. in the early days of a startup. You could probably have one person that's dabbling both. in both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean like you could get press, but like how much press can you get early on? But totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. So you get laid off. You're in this new city. Is there anything that you have on your mind to do? Um, well, no, because I have zero relationships. I'm like, so this is like chill. Um, and basically when I started <laughs> looking for jobs, it was like all entertainment, right? right. So and I have no experience in or like gaming. So I was like, where's fashion? Where's lifestyle? Where's yeah. like all the things that I had worked on in New York? It like didn't really exist, honestly. Um, or it was traditional PR, which yeah. I didn't do. So I essentially sent out an email to like my entire like database of like people I knew. And I was like, I'm in LA, I'm looking for freelance work and got some freelance clients. Um, Doing social media? Doing social media. So I, during that like freelance like moment, I like, I remember I like managed Bed Bath & Beyond's like Facebook page. I was like doing things for Mr. Clean. I was like all over the place. What was the vision for you? Like what did you, what did that, what did you hope that that would lead to that you would have your own agency one day or? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, 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 no. What what was like the ideal situation for you? I just needed to make money like transparently. Let's say like like, you started doing that like five, ten years. Like what what were you working towards? Yeah. I mean like for me I was like. I was honestly coming from New York shocked that I could like work from home and make good money. And like, cause like in New York, that's not a thing when you're just starting out. It's like, you need a job, you need that like income, steady income. So I was just excited about like freelancing in general. And then essentially it got to the point where it was like, I had so many freelance clients, I had to hire someone. So then I had someone like working out of my kitchen. Um, and I was like, this is like interesting. And I ended up meeting someone who was like, Hey, I'm getting an office space. And again, New York mentality. I'm like, I can't afford an office space like what are we talking about and cut to we found this amazing space in downtown LA that was like I think it was like 300 bucks each a month and it was like incredible um and I was like cool I have an office now and And I have like like pre we work yes oh yeah no such thing as we work no No such such thing yeah yeah god um (laughs) crazy but yeah and then it was essentially like our own we work like so she worked out of it we had this like filmmaker work out of it we were all like sharing the rent um and it was awesome it was like you know I had no idea what it would turn into. This was no subject or yes. or yeah. what became no subject? What became no subject, yeah. So what I mean, how long did that take until you built that? So basically kind of right away when I moved into the office space. So as soon as that started happening, we started like ramping up, getting more clients, like being taken more seriously, growing the team. And why do you think that was? I mean, I'm assuming you were pretty good at it, but like why did like what were you doing that maybe getting the word out that you know all these clients wanted to work with you? So Actually, we started doing 
so the way no subject started was we named the space no subject. So we had this office space. It was like 1500 square feet, like, you know, raw industrial space. And so we called the space no subject and we threw, threw events in it. So we like, I don't know if you remember like art walk, like downtown LA when it was like a thing, it was like everyone went and it was cool. Mm -hmm. So we're like, Oh cool. We're downtown. Let's do cool stuff. So we would curate art openings. We'd have like really cool. So we did this one event that like, I think is what really propelled the business was we had a bunch of influencers give us stuff that they wanted to get rid of. So it was like a random mix of like skis, artwork, like a full suit, a purse. Like it was like all this crazy stuff. And we did this huge installation on a wall and we teamed up with this mobile technology group where you could text to buy. So like everything was for sale and it was like really cool stuff. Like and you, it, would, you would know like what influencer. Exactly. Used to own that. Who the influencer was and like what right. the stuff was. And it was just like a total hodgepodge, like kind yeah. of come to life, which like doesn't sound that cool now, but like cut back to like 2010, 2011. Yeah. Like that was like cool and innovative. But what was the goal with the events? Like, was it to build a community or like just people like getting the word out there of what yeah, no subject is? Like it was really just to do cool shit. Like I, I, we weren't even like, you know, we were definitely not making money off it. And we were just like, Hey, let's be part of something. Like we're young, we're creative. We have these connections. Like let's just do something fun and meet people. And also like, I was so new to LA. So I was like, I just want to like, if we have an open bar, like people will come and like hang out and 100%. like we'll meet cool people. <laughs> yeah. But like, what were you guys? Like, were you just a social media agency or was it more than that? We now? weren't like anything at the time. Like it was literally, I think we, it was like a hub of collective creatives. Like we just like made up a tagline, but it wasn't even like really a business until after that event, we had a bunch of brands, like that event got so much buzz. Like, can you do events for us? Can you do social for us? Like, what do you guys do? And then at that point, we're like, mm, what do we do? Mm. And essentially, my business partner at the time was like, she did events. I did social media. We're like, we're a social media and events business. Like, threw together an LLC and we're like, okay, I guess we have this company like now. someone from those brands just happened to come to the event and yes. see what you guys are doing. They're like, wow, these people yeah. can get a crowd out. Like, exactly. I want them to do yeah. that for our company. Yeah. And, like, our first clients were, like, G-Star, Raw. And then we had Project, which is, like, a fashion trade show. It was, like, one of our first clients and clients for, like, many years. Um, and then eventually, like, Microsoft, Urban Decay, L'Oreal Paris, like, or Uber, like you name it. Like we worked with so many massive brands, like over seven years, obviously it's like been a long time. At the time, were you at all scared about like what the heck was going on? Like, I mean, did you, or did you, you know, seek out other entrepreneurs that had done something similar? I mean, what, I mean, you were a young, you know, yeah. lady in this space, like what were you doing? Like, did you have any clue or, and how did you start having a clue? No, I had no idea what I was doing. It was, it was so fun though. Like I actually like look back at that time as such like a pure moment of like not knowing how much could go wrong yeah. and like how much trouble you can get into. Cause it was like, it was so fun, you know, like we, especially for the first couple of years when you're like not really making that much money, but you're like hustling super hard. Like every win is so big. Like we would go to happy hour like every day at five. Like we just had nothing going on the first like four to five months. Really? We had like interns that were just like, what are we like? It was wild. But once we started picking up and like hiring and like growing and it became real, it gets complicated. And I think like, you know, for me, it was like, an amazing boot camp into entrepreneurship, like my first company, especially the first half of it, where I learned so much. Like there was, you know, I ended up breaking up with that business partner. We had like a, you know, there was financials involved. I had to take over the company. Like I had to take over clients. I had like employees, like we had to set up insurance. Like everything was like a learning curve at like a hundred thousand miles an hour, like coming at me. 
And I always think back to that as like, it was a true, like it was my MBA right. in like entrepreneurship because I just was like figuring it out as I went along. Um, and then the back half of that, like, you know, seven years was really a meaningful business. Like it was mm -hmm. very legitimate. And like, I started Create and Cultivate while having that company as like a, hey, I just went through hell and back trying to right. build this company. Like, is anyone else feeling this way? Turns out it's a lot of women started getting women together in the same kind of way. No subjects are like just this event, like see if people come mm -hmm. and people came out in droves and brands started to get interested. And then like basically it kind of took on a life of its own. Right. So I eventually sold that business and, and started working on Create and Cultivate full time. So yeah, that's kind of how um, I feel like it's crazy because I feel like I, I'm at a, I think I asked you like if you were trying to create an agency and you said you weren't, but it so, somehow sort of ended up that way yeah. because, you know, these brands were coming in and said, hey, I want you to help us out with branding and social mm -hmm. media and events. Like, I guess, why didn't you want to create an agency? I know you did that. You did it because that's kind of what, what you were getting. Yeah. yeah. What happened? But I think. I don't know if I ever thought of myself as an entrepreneur and like truly like I think my business partner at the very beginning was far more confident than I was going into it and was like very aggressive about starting a company. Um, and thankfully, like that was a good thing for me because I think I don't know if it was just me if I would have been like so down to do it. I had worked in corporate like my whole career, but you know, truly it was like that camaraderie that I was like, yeah, what do I have to lose? Like, mm -hmm. let's do this. And I think from there I kind of fell in love with it. And what I realized was like looking back at like my career and where I was within the corporate environments, like the biggest uh, like kind of pushback I got was like, I was too aggressive. I was too eager. I had too many ideas. Like I needed to just like stick to what I was doing. And like all the things that make for like a good entrepreneur were the things that were like kind of controversial at like a bigger company. Yeah. And I realized it like suited my personality and the way I work. Um, and so I kind of fell in love with it when I was doing it, yeah. I guess. Like How were you able way. to navigate that um, like uncertainty? Uh, Cause I don't know exactly how old you were around that time, but like, you know, as, as, as someone who starts businesses, maybe in their mid twenties to late twenties, mm. those, those pressures start to come in of like, Oh, I'm getting older. Like I, I need to figure my, like my shit out. Otherwise what, like, what if, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, am I better off going and getting a job somewhere yeah. and building a career that way? So how are you able to like, even just navigate all that? Yeah. I mean, it's really challenging. I think like, I remember when I went to go rent an apartment in LA and he was like, wait, so you work for yourself. Like he couldn't, and like I had to give like three years of financial statements and he was like, how stable is the company? And it was like so hard. And I was like, I mean, I've been paying myself for three years. Like here's the paycheck. He's like, yeah, but like you go up at any time. I'm like, you can get fired at any time. Like right. it was, it was, I remember that being like the first thing of like, God, people are really like, yeah. this is a scary thing. I mean, the difference is I have equity um, and I'm not, it's not, you know, like check by check, exactly. you know, pay, paycheck by paycheck. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it, that was like an interesting like thing for me. And I think like when it comes to the scariness, like I think I, I almost was like so energetic and like, like about it that I like almost kind of missed that part a little bit until the business partner breakup. And then mm -hmm. after that was like really the first time where I was like, oh my God, it's just me now. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm responsible for these seven employees. And like, I have to start emailing all of our clients and telling them what's going on. And like, and that's when it like got very real to me. And like, it kind of was scary where I was like, so I actually... I flew up to Portland and one of my friends, Musa Tariq, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he, he basically Sounds was like, familiar. he was head of marketing at Burberry and he was head okay. of marketing at Nike and now he's head of marketing at Airbnb. He was mm. at like, he yeah, was like the CMO. Sounds of familiar, yeah. yeah. He's just like a, 
very successful guy and he's a friend of mine. And so I flew up and I was like, look, like, let me lead Nike women's marketing. Like I'm, you know, whatever. And he was like, well, what's going on with your business? Like, you know, and I was like, you know, like this just happened and da, 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 and like whatever. And I was telling him about everything. And he was like, let me ask you a question. He's like, does your company make money? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I'm not going to hire you then. And I was like, why? But I like, you know, and he was like, you have a business that makes money. Like shit's going to get hard. Like stick it out. Like come back to me in a year. If your business falls apart, like I'll, I'll hire you at Nike. And I was like, okay. Like it was really good advice. And like, what a homie. I know <laughs> within a year I was like on Forbes 30 under 30, like yeah. was like on the way to sell the company. Like it was amazing, but it was really good advice. Like I think sometimes like the drama of starting a business and like being in business, like it never ends. And you just have to focus on the company and the business, right. the business of business, right? Like not just like team and this and things going wrong and whatever, because that never stops. Mm-hmm. But if you have a business that is successful, like that is valuable. And like being able to understand that value is really important. What did you do in the year? That What was the difference maker that time? I think I had everything to lose at that point. Like, so it was like when I started the business, I had nothing to lose. And at that point I had everything to lose where it was like, okay, like your clients know you're on your own. The employees are all relying on you. Like it was so much intense pressure of like, well, this is it. Like it's all on you. And I really wanted it to work. And I kind of wanted to show people who were like, "Mm, we'll see how that goes. Operationally, was there like already a big system in place that you just like, you could still manage to do it or or were you like hit there as well as far as the whole like operations? I mean, I lost a co-founder. So it was like, you know, she started the company with me. So it was like a huge, huge, huge loss in that way. Um, So that's really challenging for sure. Obviously like team morale, like that's a hard thing to recover from. Um, But I think for me, I was like, I just went for it. Like I was like, this is it. Like I'm either going to make it work or not. And like, this is like my year to figure it out. And I just went, crazy and what like, did that look like though i mean, like, I mean I'm just curious, like working a hundred hour plus weeks like just hustling my face off to get new business in trying to find the right hires like this ramping still up for on, no subject right? yes yeah. yeah and like i remember we had this big pitch like um with this huge company and they were very adamant on coming to our office and we were still in the same office in downtown and i was like oh my god i'm like i'm pretty sure i like on the pitch with them, like, it was like, yeah, we're like 10 people, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, definitely like six or seven employees. And I was like, fuck, they're going to come. No, legitimately, (laughs) I paid my friends to come sit in desks. So they like came, I like literally was like, this is our team, like blah, 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 blah. And like made our filmmaker guy, like, like I was like, you're a creative director. This is our conference room, like full eyed, won the business. Um, and like was able to hire four more people because of that. But like, I just hustled my face off and like did whatever it took to make it successful. Looking back, well, actually, before I ask that question, that year, I mean, like, how did that make you feel like physically, emotionally, mentally? Like, what was, what were you going through? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh so hard. It was, it was definitely one of the hardest years of my life, like emotionally for sure, because not only was it the business, but like a business partner breakup. I mean, it is a divorce. Like you are Mm -hmm. friends with the same people. It's like very challenging to recover from that. The legal bill, all that stuff is like very difficult. And so I think personally, I was like really burned on that whole situation. But like professionally, I had to like show up every day and be like the positive, like we got this like force. So I think it's like hard to reconcile those two things. And I think I deep down had no idea what I was doing. And I was still very emotional about business. Like I think now being in my second company and being like four years into that second company, like 
the craziest things could happen and I'm just like, okay, like that's, it yeah. is what it is. Like this sh- you know, shit's going up in flames. Like fine. Like I can deal with it because I've seen it. I've like experienced it. I've done it. Like I was so new to everything. Like I cried in the bathroom. I like Googled stuff. I was figuring, I, I mean, it was a full nightmare. Like, and I just was like, I, but I, in front of the team, I was always like, keeping it together, trying to be like, you know, the, the strong one yeah. for the team, which is like, I mean, but you're almost hard. ready to like sort of not give it up, but like, you know, go, oh, go work at a big company and not have to deal with those pressures. Yeah. Like every day I was like, is yeah. this today that I'm like over this? But, yeah. but don't you think that's made you a better leader and founder now? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I look back as a, that truly being like such a education and business. And I think, you know, now I mean, I'm still learning every single day. And like now, you know, with the company that's like 25 people and like, you know, bigger stakes and like more, you know, all the different things, like it definitely is never easier. And I definitely don't have everything figured out, but I think, you know, I'm very used to and can deal with big, big problems Mm -hmm. with like very, you know, with ease, honestly, and like being able to troubleshoot and problem solve is like, honestly, like my full-time job when it comes to being a CEO. To close the subject on no subject and move to create and cultivate, what is your advice to folks that are looking to start a business specifically with somebody or somebody's? Mm. Like we've had several people that are uh, two co-founders, three co-founders. Recently, we we had somebody that, that have four co-founders. Right? What is your advice on those individuals to almost prevent mm-hmm. the divorce process or at least mitigate? You know the damages of? Yeah. So a few different things. Like one, I would say is have a really strong operating agreement. So understanding what your role is versus what their role is and being very clearly defined and updating it frequently. So I think when we started, like the things that were in there weren't relevant anymore to what was actually happening in the business. Um, I think the other thing is like having very transparent talks about money. So everyone has different relationships to money. There's no right or wrong way to deal with it. But like thinking about the way you want to make money versus like what they want to make money. Like you have to have that conversation. Cause if they're like, I want to be taking X amount off the table within like a year, or if they're like, Hey, blood, sweat, and tears, we're going to pay ourselves nothing for three years. Like you have to be aligned on that. And I think also one of the biggest lessons is like, not everything is a 50, 50 partnership. Like a lot of co-founders are like 70, 30, 60, 40. Like it really depends on what they're bringing to the table. And like a lot of times I think what happens is like someone becomes the face and someone becomes the workhorse. And like, if you start as like 50, 50, that can be like a really brutal exchange. But if you're like, transparently, I want to work this hard. I'm down to be the face. I'm down to set cultural, you know, culture tones, like whatever at the company. But like, I need you to do like supply chain and like whatever, like that needs to be a different split than what you're talking about. So I think it's just like understanding that having constant conversations about evolution, um, and just setting yourself up legally, like from the get go. Yeah. But it's definitely not an easy conversation to have. No, not at all. (laughs) You have to be, you have to have a lot of self-awareness. Yeah. Um, and you just have to be very honest with each other and it's tough. And I think as we keep doing this show, like, I think we've learned so much and I think that's why like a listen and we try to ask specific questions because a lot of our listeners want to either start a business or become co-founders or whatever it may be. And I think that because entrepreneurship is so glorified these days with all these different podcasts and blogs and whatever, I, I think both Pat and I try to really keep it real, like with the, and, and like ask those questions and not to dissuade people, but to almost like help them with the realities of business and entrepreneurship because it's not easy. Like I think working for a company is easier. And I think both Pat and I have done that. It's, it sucks in my opinion. I think he feels the same way, Uh, but it's definitely much easier than doing your own thing. 
Oh, yeah. I literally, like, think about people who I'm like, oh, my God, like, when you leave work, like, you leave, like, That's you're it. done. Yep. <laughs> what yeah. is that like? Like, I'm like, I haven't done that in, like, 15 years. Like, it's yeah. so crazy. But So why the fuck did you do it again? I <laughs> Great question. Um, it's funny because it's like... And don't worry, my whispers come out as a very... <laughs> I'm so loud, it just sounds normal probably. Sounds right? normal. I'm going to raise the gain on that part. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, great, great question. Here we are. Um, you know, I think I always say with no subject, like I was knocking on everyone's door, like, hire me, hire me. This is my company. With Create and Cultivate, it was really the opposite. Like, everyone was interested in working with the company, which was, as a founder, a crazy experience to have as someone who was like, please, please, like, look yeah. at all these things I'm doing. The brands that I had emailed thousands of times who never responded to me all of a sudden were emailing me, like, we're interested in working with you. And, like, the brand just had such strong brand love from the consumer side and the brand side early on before it was even anything that it was, like, I had to pay attention to it. And Why do you think that was, though? Was it because you had done no subject? Like, if you hadn't done no subject, do you think it would have had the same type of reaction? I maybe honestly, like I, I don't know if no, I think the company couldn't have exploded the way it did without the experience of no subject, but I don't think necessarily it was because of no subject. I think it was because of a couple different things. Like one was, it was like pre this movement of like women in business being such a like cultural moment mm -hmm. and but it was the first of its kind in that category. So I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing I would say is that I approached it and treated it like an influencer business, but it was for consumers. So at the time, this is like Instagram, beginning of influencer culture, where it's like influencers are going to these insane events. They're posting about them. All these girls are like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like mm -hmm. that looks amazing. Mm -hmm. And I was doing those events at No Subject for Brands. And basically what I said is like, I'm just going to do that same event, but like for consumers and have yeah. influencers speak. Um, and it was flipping the model and like no one was really doing that. And basically I just started saying like, hey, like, maybe brands can be here. Like, can brands pop up? Can brand founders speak? Like, you know, I remember like, um, you know, at the time, so Jen, Jen Rubio, who's the founder of Away, was at Warby Parker. It's crazy how you brought that up because I was literally thinking, I'm going to ask her about this later, but anyways, go Yeah, on. but was at Warby Parker yeah. and she was like, hey, like, I, that's cool what you're doing. Like, Warby Parker will sponsor your dinner. Again, it was like for no money at the beginning, but like, it was like, oh my God, cool. Warby Parker wants to sponsor <laughs> yeah. our dinner. Like, amazing. How did they find out about it? So what honestly, it? it was because of, I think, the influencers. Because the I influencers see. were all posting at the beginning about being on the panels and conversations. Again, this is before like everyone was kind of doing this. Um, and they and were it, tagging, creating, cultivating. Exactly. And, like, and it this? spread like virally, like honestly, like without how did, much. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like uh, kind of rewinding back a little bit, how, where did the idea even spark from? Like, I, I think you kind of alluded to it, but if, if you can like, kind of like elaborate on like, yeah, so when was that moment? Basically, you know, I was feeling like lonely and sad as like a founder, like coming off this business partner breakup and found a community of women that were really awesome, kind of going through the same things. And I, and the way it started is different than the way it is now. But I was like, let's do a day offline with entrepreneurs, freelancers, like creatives, um, and do this thing called Create and Cultivate. And the first one was hosted at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs. And it was like, like it was like succulent workshops. There was like, we had like people pitch, show their business ideas. Like it was like a mix of like random things of just like a fun day. Like we had a cocktail workshop. Levi's did the dinner. We were doing like casting things. Like, so it wasn't like what it is now, which is like business focused, but it was just like people getting offline and like away from their computers and connecting. And naturally conversations about business came up. Right. And but was the idea like to, uh, to focus on empowering women and, and from the get go or was it, it just was a general It was just about conference? getting women together to get offline and have conversations about business. But it wasn't like, 
you know, this is about like women empowerment and this yeah. is about like women in business. It was just like, let's just see what happens when we all just like hang out together. And I, I wasn't like influencer at the time and like had blogger friends. So I like brought them on to like host stuff and do stuff and they were like down. And it just like was this insane fun time and the brands were loving it and the consumers were like, when's the next one? I was like, I have no idea. I don't even know what this is. Like, and it took me about like three, two to three years to figure out the model and like the formula for it. Um, and that's when we really launched our big conference, which was in LA 2016, um, which had like Julian Huff, Ami Song, just like a ton of, you know, it had over 350 people, which was like our biggest one to date. And it was like so fun, but it was also such a disaster in retrospect. Like we ran out of water at one point. Like I yeah. think the electricity, but like I had no idea what it I was doing. It makes you appreciate like yeah. the Coachellas of the world. Yeah, like, exactly. It's like a mini fire festival. It was a mini yeah. fire festival. Not that bad, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I always. At least it happened. Exactly. Yeah, like it yeah, happened and yeah. that was really, it was so successful despite like my own criticism. It's a good problem. You know, yeah. they run out of water. People are thirsty yeah. and it's hot. Yeah. People were like into it. But basically from there is when um, I like decided to invest in the company myself. I brought on a um, partner to also invest and like we basically self-funded the company from was there. It, sorry to, yeah, was the idea to do this full time or were you doing no, this like a side project? Not at all. For like two years doing it as a side project and like not making money on it. Like truly like yeah. breaking even like just thinking it was like a fun thing to do and it was just to get people together that's it yeah that nothing was it. else yeah. there was no other bigger motive no and mm, you don't want to make money no well because i had my other business so it was like i was still yeah. doing no subject for a long time and then obviously once we invested in the company and it was like okay we're doing this then we were like okay we gotta make money we gotta figure yeah. this out um and yeah and then from then on it was like a roller coaster of like our first conference being in LA, we did a second one in Chicago shortly after. Then we started doing stuff like outside of the conferences with different brands and doing more bespoke events. Then it was like, maybe we should have like a site that has content. Oh, we're doing digital now. Like maybe we should have a podcast. Maybe we should write a book. Maybe we should do more events. It was like this And was all feedback from the, like the guests yes. attending and stuff? Yeah. Okay. So feedback from the guests it cu coupled with like me basically wanting to reverse engineer a media company. So mm -hmm. like I didn't, you know, at the time, I mean, there still is refinery and pop sugar and like all these yeah. things, but like, I don't under, I was like, I don't understand that side of the business. I don't want, we don't have hundreds of millions of traffic and Facebook ads and whatever. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to build an offline community that we then bring online, um, which was always the goal. Love so that. what was the mission of on day one once you guys started doing this full time? Yeah. So the mission, like, it was interesting because the whole goal was at the very beginning of, for the LA 2016 event. That's when I was like, we are an offline event series. Now we're an online platform too, but like we were an offline event series for digital, female digital entrepreneurs. That was like the tagline. So it started as more like digital content creation, like, et cetera. And then what we found was feedback from the audience was... I, yeah, I have like an Etsy shop, but like, I'm not an entrepreneur yeah. and we're like, no, but like you are like you own a business, but like women were not only associating calling themselves entrepreneurs if they were successful at their business, which was interesting. And then also people were like, well, digital entrepreneur, like I own brick and mortar store. Like, so it's not for me. And we were like, no, 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 wait. So we ended up changing the tagline to an offline event series, online platform for women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. So we have programming now for women that are in the corporate environment, entrepreneurship, content creation, like kind of all the different categories. So it's kind of similar. Not, and it's not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything here, but it's like, is it similar to summit, the summit model? Yeah. Um, Ish. Like, it's similar in the sense that it, 
Well, one, it's like anyone can come, so you can buy tickets, which some of right. I think is like sort of like invite, yeah, invite only. only, yeah. Um, and it's female centric, right. so it's like a little like different in that way. But like in terms of like the community building yes. aspect, right? Yeah, right. Like that's the goal, right? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Uh, was it because like there was nothing like this in existence that ever, you know, like you were able to get so many guests and so many people interested? Like, wh- what was the main thing that you were hitting on with with the, each of these guests? If if you can go back and remember, like. Yeah, at that time. for sure. I mean, definitely there was nothing like it when we started and now there's a lot of things like it, which is also challenging in its yeah. own right. But I was just like ruthless with the follow-up, but I luckily had relationships with like influencers. So I could say like this person or that person's doing it. And like, would you want to do it too? Like, cause as soon as you get one big name to do it, other big names will follow. So it was kind of like that was the model. And so we, you know, we built up gradually and we're able to get people on board. And then like from there it really built. And like, we were lucky that when big talent came to our events, they had a really good experience and then they would tell other people. So it was like, honestly, just like word of mouth. I guess more so on the, on the thing side, like the, like the guests that were coming, um, what was like the biggest value, uh, a value that you were providing them that you, you would say like, um, just to put in perspective of like at that time, where the world was in a certain place and Mm. what will you bring to the table that just kind of capture this whole audience? Yeah. I mean, for us, it was like real talk business advice for female, you know, entrepreneurs, women in business, et cetera. And so all of the, you know, kind of programs that we had, you know, whether it's like a panel or a workshop or whatever, were really like, I was adamant about everything being not like be aspirational, be yourself, be authentic. Like I was like, I'm so over it. Like we need to have like real conversations about it. So I think that was like the biggest thing. And I think we also just brought a really strong mix of women together that were like super well-known, up and coming, just incredible speakers. Um, And the women that attended, I mean, I feel like one, they got the community out of it. Like we were so lucky in that our community is very – friendly and like open and excited to be there. And like, we have like letters and Facebook posts and all these things of people meeting their co-founders there, meeting their mm-hmm. VC there, like raising money through Create and Cultivate. It's like an amazing community of women all over the country. Um, but also like our mission is to like entertain, enlighten, and inform. So like we always want people to walk away with like tactical, tangible advice, but we also want people to have fun. Like that's part of it too. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the balance that we provide. Something I read the other day that I'll, I've written down and I'll you know, what we can have a conversation about was I get these emails from PitchBook and it's like very VC venture focused stuff. And they were talking about how so far in 2019, venture capitalists have invested $17.2 billion in US-based startups with at least one female founder. Mm. And that eclipsed last year's mark of $17 billion, which, you know, it's not much higher than the year before. But they said that only 6.7% of VC deals were with companies, US-based companies with at least one female founder. And 2.8% of the capital invested was only to female founders. So it's still a massive problem in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, the difference between male-backed st- startups and female-backed startups. It's something that obviously Pat and I have also run into in the last two and a half years of doing this podcast is we have significantly more male founders. Mm-hmm. And it's not because, I mean, we're male, sure, but it's not that that's not the case. It's just that there isn't as many that are out there or, you know, I don't know, maybe they are out there. 
was creating cultivated was creating cultivate started off of that problem almost or like was that something that you were focused on solving yeah absolutely so i think for me like starting my first companies and and again like i i think i was so naive in my first business i think like the thing i thought i was dealing with the most with was ageism cuz i was so young and going mm. into a room and they're like you charge how much like we're not paying you that like that's what i mostly ran into but i think also like as i got deeper and deeper into it like sexism was a it was insane to see it happen like in such like flagrant terms i mean obviously this is pre me mm. too but like all the time all the time. And a lot of my clients were male and I've had like amazing experiences and I've had experiences where I was like, I cannot believe this is like a thing. Like this is crazy. Um, but I think like Creighton Cultivate was really started to, what I found was meeting male CEOs, male founders, whatever, men in business in general, like they're, the boys club is very real. And it's not like, hey, we're going golfing type club, but it's, <clears throat> there's generational wealth created where men, you know, mostly white men have been able to have a lot of money, have a lot of access, have a lot of relationships, and therefore pass down a lot of access, a lot of money, and a right. lot of relationships to other white men. It's just yeah. the system, right? Deep. Yeah, it yeah. runs deep. It's just the system. Right. It's not like, you know, someone's fault or anything. It's just the way it is. Women, on the other hand, the way that it's always been was, at least in my experience, was the generation above me was like, I had to claw my way through hell to get this job. Mm -hmm. So there's no way in hell I'm helping you out, like you 20-something, whatever. Like that was the mentality right. always. Like, And I get why. Like because there were so few spots for women and especially if women were going to make money, they were like, no, 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 no. Like I'm not going to like this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed yeah. girl coming in here with good ideas. Like fuck, like this is my space. That – I saw that happen and then basically when I started my company, that's what I wanted to stop because – what I realized was when I got into a room with all these girls in the first Create and Cultivate and was like, here's my problem with this. How are you dealing with that? And they were like, here's what I did. My dad's a lawyer. He helped me with his contract. Take my right. contract. Like whatever it was, like all the things of like this knowledge sharing was so helpful. And it really broke down the barrier and the barrier and the stigma of like women hating on women, which was very true yeah. because of the way the system was built. So I think like that was really the goal and what's really started to happen. And I think the narrative has shifted even with like the older generation too, where we're like, no, fuck that. Like women making more money is actually the goal. And I think mm -hmm. the more money that women are making, the more eventually other women will make money because like sure. at least for us anyone that we hire for the most part we i would say 80 percent of the people that we hire for vendors like our florists our caterers or whatever is women-owned businesses so it's mm -hmm. like if i'm making money you're gonna make money and like having that mentality of paying it forward is how you actually shift and change the larger problem um and that's really what create and cultivate's all about it's like why i invest in like female-owned businesses and like you know do that on my part because i'm like if someone wrote me a check, which I didn't even know I could do when I was starting my first company and was like, hey, I'm going to help you. And here's this relationship. Like that would have changed my whole business. So that's kind of where the mission of Create and Cultivate is. When was the moment, I know you, I know you mentioned like uh, you sold no subject. When was the moment, like what happened where you decided I'm going to go all in on Create and Cultivate and I'm going to move, move away from yeah, so basically, so No Subject was bought by another like women-owned business out of Brooklyn. Um, it's a it's a PR firm. And basically it was like very, 
the way it all went down was very interesting. So basically they had approached me a while ago before the deal had happened where they were like, we, we are, we have this peer agency. Like we want you to be a part of it. We want to open a West coast office. We want to acquire your company, whatever. Started having those conversations. And anyone who knows anything about like M and A is like, it's a nightmare. It takes forever. It's like, you have like a thousand conversations. Nothing happens. It's like whatever. And basically like they, we were like, great, let's do it. And then like they got put on the back burner because some other thing came up. So they approached you, like you weren't actively looking to sell the business. Okay. So you, the idea was you're going to keep doing creating cultivate while running the subject. Well, and creating cultivate at that time wasn't even really a thing. It was like, I mean, it was a thing, but it wasn't like a big business. And then basically cut to, I was like, whoa, CNC is like really amazing. Like, this is great. I'm going to bring on this business partner. I'm going to like invest in the company. And so I did that and basically had both companies running out of one office. Mm. So I was CEO of both companies, had both teams, different businesses for like a year. And then they circled back and were like, hey, we're ready to do the deal. And I was like, oh, it's a little complicated (laughs) now. Like I had this other thing. Like I'm like, whatever. And they were like, all right, well, like, look, like, we want to like, you know, you have this team, you have a pipeline, like we have this infrastructure, we're a bigger company, like we can bring this on, but like, let's figure out a unique deal. And so we were able to figure out a way where they bought the company I stayed on um, for a year to transition out and then eventually went full-time at Crate and Cultivate. Wow. Which is like so weird and yeah. random, but like yeah. I literally used to drive part-time between both offices hmm. for like a year. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge on, in the early days of Crate and Cultivate that you didn't experience at no subject. Yeah. I mean, I think the ramp up and scale, like I said, there was so much interest, like, and we couldn't keep up with the demand, which was like, again, good problems, but very challenging when you're a self-funded company to be like, I don't want to hire like 15 people and like, you know, be in debt to this like situation and like whatever. So I think the figuring out the scaling of it was really, really a challenge for me, um, that I didn't, I hadn't experienced before and like, didn't expect. What does Create and Cultivate look like now in 2019 going into 2020? Yeah. So basically, I mean, we're still a completely self-funded business, which I feel like in this day and age is like very rare. Yeah. Um, and we... Oh, you're not, you didn't raise $175 billion? No. Oh, oh, not. Um, God. Um, so yeah. three $3 trillion valuation? <laughs> Everyone. Um, so yeah. So now we're like 25 people and growing. We are essentially... Our business is broken up into a couple different areas, but we're most well known for our large scale conferences. We do bespoke events for brand partners. We have a podcast. We have a book. Uh, we have a product line at Target. We're launching more different and more in different product categories as well. Um, we're getting into entertainment and looking at some like shows and development and things like that as well. So it's growing super fast and like continues to be really interesting. But like for me, I'm like constantly just focused on diversifying revenue while maintaining the brand authenticity um, and growing the community. So so dabbling in all these different things, I, I guess um, looking back, if um, you wanted to like be be known for like doing one thing or like having one big impact, what would it be? Because you guys, it seems like you're just kind of trying to take every avenue you can to build this platform, right? Like, what is that... What is that one thing that you want to be known for? Yeah, I mean, like our mission at the end of the day is to be the go-to platform for women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. And for me, what that really means is giving women the tools, tips, and tricks they need to go out and raise $5 million, sell their company, get that job, ask for a raise, whatever it is. And like, that's what we want to be. And we want to be like the real talk version of that. Like not just the blustery, like, you know, whatever. Like I'm very like same as you guys. Like I'm so annoyed by the narrative of entrepreneurship. I try to be as brutally honest as possible, as well as like, you know, just everything in general, like the struggle of being a founder, of being an employee, like they're all different, but important. And I think like we try to bring that realness to it so that women can go out and actually Mm -hmm. make shit happen for the women and men that are listening now 
What's your advice to them for when that idea that they have, and I'm sure people have hundreds of ideas any given moment, but when that idea is something worth pursuing? I think is it's like when you figure out how it makes money. <laughs> um, like, because I'm like a big, like I always, the thing that's challenging, and this is like the WeWork thing, right? right. Where it's like, we are a mission-driven business, but like I am a businesswoman. Like, and I think that's really important because I think sometimes people get confused when they're like, like, are you a not-for-profit or are you whatever? And I'm like, no, I'm very much for profit. And like, I am an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. I want to make companies that make money. And I think like, that's okay. And I think sometimes when women say that, it can be like, whoa. But I, I think that's just like an important thing to know about. But like, the reality of the situation is you can have a thousand good ideas. If you don't know how it will make money or eventually make money, it's like not worth pursuing. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Were you going to ask something about away or? I was. Yeah. yeah. I was going to. Great reminder. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, in the last week and a half, two weeks, there's been a lot of controversy at, you know, away with Steph Corey, who stepped down officially mm -hmm. as the CEO. Um, and I remember Pat and I were talking about it and I was talking about it with my girlfriend who's also trying to now, you know, go into the entrepreneurship route. And because we've been doing this show for so long and we've seen like how few female founders there are. And seeing the reaction on Twitter of men and, you know, oh, like, look at that. She was so emotional, this and that, all, all the bullshit, right? Yeah. You know, what What are your thoughts on, number one, what happened there and how to avoid that as a leader, especially when you get to that level of, you know, that type of revenue in your business? And number two, like, how that should not dissuade men or women from, you know, investing in female-led companies? Because I think that's obviously complete and utter bullshit that, like, that one yeah. example brought up. I mean, it did bring out a lot of, like, the realness and, like, the people that were like, oh, yeah, women shouldn't lead or whatever bullshit. And that kind of yeah. stuff mo probably happens a lot in yeah. business and a lot, in a sure lot of companies. I'm sure there's a thousand men that have yeah, done yeah, yeah, yeah. way worse things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But yeah. this was, like, almost, yeah. like, it gave them reason to speak out, which was great because now right. they showed their true colors. Right, yeah. So I I'm think, just curious about your thoughts there. Well, I think there's a – I think cancel culture is, like, can be very dangerous. I think um, – especially for female entrepreneurs, there's a lot of build them up to break them down. And I think, um, with stuff like, and I, in full transparency, I, I was an, I am an investor in a way and I know Steph and Jen very well. And like, I respect what they've done a thousand percent. And like, can I say I've never sent like an angry slack at someone to be like, what the hell happened yeah. here? No, like, you know, let whatever yeah. he who throws the first stone or whatever well, yeah. it is. But yeah. like, I think at the end of the day, like, Building a business is so, so hard. Right. And I think being a founder, you're so invested in your idea. There's so much that you can do. And I think very much like them, like they had fast growth, like yeah. yep. super fast growth. And like the de I'm, the demands of their investors and all that stuff, it's no excuse for like anything she said or did or whatever. But like, th I just think it's like important to look at both people and understand both people, like be in both people's shoes. Right. Because I think there is everyone is very quick to call out everyone and like, you know, what she built is incredible and sure. it's an unreal story yeah. that is, it's a unicorn, the only female founded unicorn really yeah. out there. Yeah. And I think it's sad, like what happened because, um, you know, I think, 
I think right now we're in this culture where people, and I don't know if this is the case that way, but just saying it, even like with our companies, like people are, for whatever reason, are quick to go on the internet and talk about things, but not go to a person and talk about right. things and mm-hmm. just be like, I don't feel like I'm being heard or like, I feel like this is too much work for me or I'm overworked or this. And then like, they're just quick to call everyone out, mm-hmm. which is scary as a founder, because it's like, right. no matter how many HR people or policies or like, you know, work from home or happy hours you put together, like you can't control what's out there. No. You know, in a lot of ways. And I think like a lot of times we're just doing the best we can. But I think it's also just like uh, you know, anything at all mentality. Like it's it's so hard when you're in that position as like you're the female unicorn, like you have to make this work. I can't imagine right. that pressure that they must have been under. Yeah, if, yeah. if if that was if Steph was a guy, it obviously wasn't gonna be an issue. Oh yeah. Um yeah. so there's that double standard. But I there. do have a lot of respect for the way she handled it afterwards. I don't know if you guys of saw course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and, and and she and for the record, she she I think she is gonna remain the chairwoman yeah. of the board. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably best, you know, st- stepping down from day to day operations, just kind of letting things, you yeah, know, chill out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> after all that absolutely but, yeah. Um, yeah yeah for sure what is as a founder yourself what is your advice though for people that are in that position or are building to become in that role and now it becomes more so you have to be a leader manager as opposed to like an operator right because i think there's a big difference there i'm like let me know when you find out because <laughs> legitimately like i've tried to not be the operator for so long and it's impossible right. like it's so so hard right. and i talked to so many founders about right. this like uh, no matter how much i try to get out of the weeds it's like i'm in the weeds mm-hmm. like yeah. and i think that's because I care so much about the brand, but also it's like that institutional knowledge of like, I know how to do this. I know what's going to work. And like the, the, you know, with events, I mean, you bring up Firefest. Like if I'm just like, Hey guys, good luck. Like first time doing a conference, see you there. Like, and a wall falls over and kills someone like that's on me. So it's like, I think it's the pressure of it all comes back to you. Mm -hmm. That is really hard. And I think it's really important to build out like that C-suite team, which is expensive Mm -hmm. and like hard. It's hard to find good people in that like role. And I think that's something that we've been focusing on this year, bringing on a COO, bringing on a GM, like bringing on those different roles to eventually build up and create that buffer that will allow me to be like a visionary leader, all those things. But I don't want to sit here and pretend and like yeah, um it's hard i mean you guys are here i look like shit i'm so tired <laughs> like i've like been in the office right. at 6 a.m we won't we agree hang out, with but, you but no, we hang out with founders all day so we're well exactly <laughs> like this is the, the reality of the situation like i think like to your point like everyone on instagram's like oh my god in like you know Tulum again, like I'm like who? What business? I need to like start your business. Yeah, seriously. Like, what's going on? Like it's just yeah. We have a few friends that yeah. are just always traveling, and I'm just like, can I can I do that? Yeah, like what? They're like running a business, but they're like in art galleries and like sushi restaurants, like like literally every single <laughs> yeah. day. Like how how do you have time for that? No, it's not it's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Don't yeah. believe it. Don't believe it. Yeah. And I mean, like, look, like, this is my 14th year being, like, yeah, an entrepreneur. Crazy. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, and, you're, like, as a veteran as it gets. Yeah. And it's, like, truly, like, it uh, shit I was doing day one, I'm still doing now. Yeah, so sure. it doesn't really get easier. I think it's just trying to figure out the formula that works. I know you mentioned a podcast and a book. Where can folks find that? Yeah. So our podcast is called Work Party. It's at Work Party, and it's on all the podcast networks. And the book is also called Work Party in paperback now. Definitely check it out. Love it. Love that name. Well, this has been such a great conversation. So much fun. Yes. Love your energy. Love what you've built. And we can't wait to see where it goes from here. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs>